We're in a series called All In. If you got your Bibles, uh, your Bible apps, whatever, uh, you go to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we're going to pick up the series. But last week, Joe talked about one of the most powerful passages in all the New Testament, right? Sometimes it can be really complicated, it seems like, to understand what Scripture says, but about the gospel, about what it means to be saved. But Colossians is... It does a phenomenal job of clarifying it. So I want to read those verses to you so we can get started together on the same page. But Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes these words. He says, when you were dead in your sins, and that idea of being dead means to be separated from God, right? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Listen to this. Everybody read this with me. Everybody online, everybody read it with me. He forgave us all our sins, right? Having canceled, that Greek word means to, to wipe out or to smear, right? To get rid of. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, right? He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. Listen, I nailed this to the cross last night. I won't do it again today. I just left it. But but here's the concept, right? At some point, all of us know this. And whether you're a Christian, a follower of Jesus, uh, or a church member here or, or online or not is irrelevant. Here's what all of us know. All of us know this, that at some point in time, we've known the right thing to do and we've chose not to do it. Can I get an agreement? Right? All of us, all of us, at some point in time, have known the wrong thing to do and we've done it anyway. Can I get an agreement? Right? Now listen, you may not make that think that's a big deal. But based upon the nature of God, it's enough to put you and I in a position to be separated from who He is. Now, you may have an issue with God, and you may have an issue with even believing in a God. And if you do, listen, you and God are going to have to work that out. He's plenty capable of having that conversation with you. It's not our responsibility to try to convince you of who God is and what His nature is like. You, you deal with that with Him. But for those of you that believe in a holy God, your decision to ignore the good or to choose the wrong put us in a situation where we had a debt. We owed a debt, and that debt was death. We were separated from God forever. Here's what the Bible says Jesus did. He took that debt that was against you and against me, against your child, against your friend or family member, and he nailed it to the cross with himself, and he canceled the written charge. He wiped it out. He wiped it out. And the Bible says when he did it, he forgave how many of your sins? How many? How many yesterday? How many from a year ago? How many from 10 years ago? And how many from today? And how many from tomorrow? And why are you growing weaker? Right? How many? I, I mean, listen, think about it. How many from a year from now? And how many from 10 years from now? Because he forgave us how many? Think about that for a second, church. He forgave us all our sins. 
Which means every sin you commit after accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior is what? Come on, say it. It's forgiven. It's forgiven. Now see, the the crowd last night cheered when they heard that. Right? Listen, is that not great news, church? All of your sins are forgiven. Right? I mean, that is the gospel. In Jesus Christ, all our sins are forgiven. Every one of them. Which means they're not collecting debt anymore. They're not collecting a charge. That means your husband's sins are forgiven. Your wife's sins are forgiven. Your child's sins are forgiven. They're all forgiven in Jesus Christ. And yet, there's an aspect to faith that asks us to not sin. (laughs) Right? Which is a really complicated thing. If all of my sins are forgiven today yesterday, tomorrow, and the next day, then here's my question. Why can't I just go on doing it if they're always going to be forgiven? And yet in Scripture, over and over and over again, we are told to eliminate sins from our life. It seems a little bit contradictory to me. It seems to be, well, it's confusing to me because I'm just a very simple person. And here's what Paul says at the end of Colossians 2 that I wanted to sort of jump on this morning. It says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, and I'm not going to get into that. We'll never go home, right? Why is though you still, listen to this, why is though you still belong to the world, to the world system, the world ways, do you submit to the rules, right? These rules, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. Right? I went to church when I was 17 and here's what I heard when I first went to church. Don't drink and don't smoke and don't chew and don't dance or go with girls that do. Right? That kind of nonsense. Right? I mean, there was a list of things we were given when we went to youth group that that was said, if you are a Christian, you just don't do these things. And yet, how many of my sins are forgiven? I had a hard time processing that. He says... Paul says, not me, Paul says these rules, which have to do the thing, do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations or rules indeed have an appearance of wisdom, of godliness, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. Listen to this. But these rules that we put in place to tell people, don't do this and don't do that. He said, these rules, they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's what I've learned in raising five kids. Well, here's what I've learned about raising five kids. I should have stopped at four, right? (laughs) But what I've learned in raising kids was, listen, when you raise that, if, if you're a first child, among many children, listen, let's just be honest. You're just a test case, okay? We're just trying to figure things out when we have you, right? It's like throwing noodles against the wall and seeing what sticks. We did, we did our best, right? Not sure how it worked, right? A lot of yelling and screaming and don't do this and, right? Thank God I wasn't a firstborn, right? But here's, as I've gotten to number five, 
Here's what I've tried to learn as I've raised multiple children. That children that we raise, that you raise, they do dumb things. Right? And it doesn't matter what you tell them about don't do this, don't do that, never do that. Right? And if you do that, don't, don't do that. And you know what they do? They do it anyway. You know why? They're dumb, right? And here's what. We didn't think they were dumb when we were doing it. We thought we were geniuses, right? But here's what I know. Rule making doesn't restrain the desire to do what's wrong. Because how many of you, how many of you drive right by a speed limit sign without even batting an eye? I did on the way here, right? Right? Rules, rules at times simply magnify our inability to, to follow them. And listen, I know there are some of you watching online and some of you in here that are rule followers and this whole concept doesn't make sense to you, right? And we're really, really glad you're here because without you, we would have a hard time knowing how messed up we really are, right? <laughs> right? But the large majority of us look at a speed limit sign as a mere suggestion, right? We look at the 10 item or less line and sort of laugh to ourselves, right? Because here's what most rules do. They only remind us of our failure. They don't restrain the desire. And yet, as a Christian, how many of our sins are forgiven? All of them. And yet, over and over and over in the pages of Scripture, we're told, don't do this. Get rid of that. Stop doing this. Stop thinking that. And we know that rules don't work. So how is it that you and I, as people who've been forgiven for all of our sins, are supposed to restrain these desires and find anything that works in that way? I think the text in Colossians 3 gives us a few pointers of what we can do that actually has value in restraining those sensual desires. Because here's what I know about most of you in this room and most of you watching online. And that is your desire for wrong hasn't decreased the longer that you've lived. Now your desire for certain wrongs has, but everybody sitting in this room understands how difficult it is to restrain our desire to do what's wrong. And let's just read these pas this passage together. And you ask me or ask yourself when we get done, how you are doing in restraining yourself in regard to these behaviors. So if you guys don't mind standing, let's read a few verses out of Colossians. Out of respect for God's word, let's, let's do some reading here. Colossians chapter 3, we'll start at verse 1. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you've died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who's your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. 
So these things, these are things we're told to get rid of. He says, sexual immorality, pornonia, it's where we get the, our word pornography from. Put to death immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which simply means to want more, more than is necessary, which is idolatry. He says, because of these, these and others like them, the wrath of God is coming. You and I used to walk in these ways in the life that we once lived prior to having all of our sins forgiven. He says, but now, listen to this, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. You got to get rid of anger and malice and rage and slander and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. You guys can have a seat. Listen, I know I'm not, not... I'm not near the church historian that, that Joe is. But I know enough church history to know this. That when you tell people the true measure of the gospel, there are a lot of people that get anxious. And some of you grew up in these churches. Right? Some of you are familiar with these churches where it was all about rules and regulations and about reminding you what you did wrong. And you sat through hellfire and damnation and condemnation sermons. Listen, here's the power of the gospel. When Jesus died on the cross for you, his death covered all of your sins. Every one of them. Every one you committed before accepting Jesus and every one you'll ever commit after knowing Jesus. That means you are free from the power of what sin does. 100% free. And yet, all throughout the pages of scripture, you and I are asked, and commanded to get rid of certain behaviors. And Paul says rules don't, rules and regulations do not stem the desire. They're of no value. So if we're asked to get rid of these things that we know we're forgiven for, then we better be able to find some valuable things to help us in that fight. And I think the text gives us four. Let's go through them quickly. Here's the first one. The first value is this. You got to take it personally. You got to take it personally. Listen to these verses and, and, and listen to how many times Paul uses the pronoun you or your, right? And when you hear you and your, you think of you, right? You think of you. He says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he lists them, right? Listen, at the end of the day, the first valuable thing that you and I can do to restrain the desires for anger and malice and rage and sexual impurity and lust and evil thoughts and greed. Here's the first valuable thing you can do. You can take personal responsibility for your own choices. And that seems to be something we've lost in our society today. 
And listen, I don't want to say, I hate, you know, I, I always sound like an old person when I say this, you know. We've got a generation of people. You know, I don't want to sound like that guy, but here's, but here's the reality. We have, we have developed a generation of people that no longer believe that anything is their fault. Everything is somebody else's fault. Well, it's my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's my teacher's fault. My coach's fault. It was my boss's fault. It's my brother's fault. My sister's fault, right? It's, it's, you name it, it's somebody else's fault. I have a 17-year-old daughter who's chosen over the last, I think it was COVID, you know, but she's chosen to be a vegan in a household where we love meat. And listen, that's just bad parenting on my part. It got away from me, right? But she's chosen to be a vegan. And the, the challenge for her is, is that I don't often, and her mom doesn't always think of her when we cook food for the rest of the family. We're roasting a side of pork, right? Not thinking that she's not going to eat it. And she comes home from work after closing at Publix and says, hey, what's for supper? Well, we had barbecue pig. I don't know what you're going to eat, right? She's also decided to save the planet. So when we go grocery shopping, I can't use plastic bags anymore. She wants me to get into the closet and drag out all of these, all of these bags that I'm supposed to carry to Publix and then fill up every time. I'm like, listen, I'm paying for these groceries. They can bag them in their own bags. But she believes that plastic will, will kill the planet, right? Here's the thing. She has got a built-in excuse for feeling at both of these things. It's called me, right? I'm not very helpful, right? But to my daughter's credit, she's taken personal responsibility for her own choices. And in spite of how difficult I can make it for her at times, unintentionally, she still chooses to be both of those things. And every time she walks out of the house, she drags her bags. And when, cause, cause her and I, we go grocery shopping together. She, so one of my favorite things to do is take my 17 year old grocery shopping. She wanders around the store. I wander around the store. We just park our cart in some strategic aisle and we just come back and throw things in it, right? But she's always got her bags with her. And if she, and if she doesn't beat me to the counter, she makes sure when she gets there to tell them, we're not taking plastic because she's taking personal responsibility. Listen, the first valuable thing you can do in fighting and fighting the desires to do these wrong things, these sensual things, these fleshly things is you got to take ownership for your own choices. Listen, part of what part of listen, part of the failure of, of the modern day Christian is we just haven't taken responsibility for our choices. And listen, we used to say that without any understanding that there are people sitting in the room and now there's people watching online that have incredible, hurtful stories. Some of you have gone through more betrayal than we can imagine. For some of you, the abuse that you suffered at the hands of loved ones is beyond comprehension. For some of you, it's unbelievable what you've gone through and how your filter is clogged and how it's made, made being an adult and being a Christian very difficult. Listen, we don't live in that culture anymore. There is tons of empathy for your story. But knowing your story doesn't eliminate your personal responsibility to fight this yourself. 
It's nobody's fault if you choose to watch pornography. It's nobody's fault but your responsibility if you blow off at the handle angry and say all kinds of terrible things at somebody. If we want to do something valuable to fight this fight, to get rid of these things, we've got to take some personal responsibility for it. Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy. He says this, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Whose responsibility is it to do it? It's ours. It's our responsibility. We, we need to find value in taking responsibility for our own choices. Here's the second valuable thing that we can do. The second value is this, is we can take it deeper. We can take it deeper. Listen to what Paul says in verses 1 and 2 of Colossians 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your what? Everybody say hearts. Set your hearts. That Greek word, that Greek word is the Greek word phrone, right? It actually means diaphragm. It refers to all of that stuff around your heart, right? It's that thing that we refer to as your gut, right? That thing that so many of us make decisions with. He says, set that thing above. He says, then where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse two, set your mind. Everybody say minds, right? Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Listen, part of the challenge, the really big challenge in getting rid of sensual desires, lust and impurity and evil thoughts and anger and rage and malice is the fight goes so much deeper than just behavior modification, right? Listen, there are, there, as I said before, there are, there are roof followers in here, which means there are people in here that can, they can, at the snap of their finger, they can start getting up at 5 a.m. every morning and they can go to the gym and they, and we are so glad that you're present in our midst, right? You make us want to be better people or at least have better friends. One of the two, right? But for most people, behavior modification is a struggle. And if you don't believe me, just do some research on how many people start and stop, stop diets, right? Because all, listen, all dieting is, is behavior modification, right? Stop eating cereal at night. Stop, start going to the gym and stop laying on your couch 24 hours a day, right? Right? All losing weight is, is about behavior modification. How hard is it? Well, the statistics say it's just near impossible. Right? We start it and we stop it. We start it and we stop it and we start. And look at people who try to quit smoking. We've created every known thing in the world for you to go to the, go to the pharmacy and buy to help you stop smoking. Why? Because changing a behavior, modifying a behavior is hard. Here's the thing. Getting rid of these, these desires in you that don't belong, even though all of our sins are forgiven, requires some really heavy lifting. You've got you've to do some hard work in the dark and alone. Because listen, changing the way you think is a challenge. I mean, think about it. Think about how hard it is for anybody to change your mind about anything. And listen, you've made some compelling arguments. And people with good sense should have changed their mind when they've listened to you. Think of your children and all the wise arguments you've made and yet it's made no impact. Think about all the conversations you've had in relationships with boyfriends and girlfriends and husbands and wives where you've made spectacular arguments and anybody with a shred of common sense would have went, you know what, I'm going to your side, I'm changing, changing my mind. And guess what? It doesn't happen. Because learning how to change your mind is an incredibly difficult thing. 
Paul says this in, in, in Romans 12. Skip that Matthew passage and go to Romans 12. He says this about the minds. He said, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your body as a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to God because this is your true and proper worship. Don't conform or don't be like, right? That Greek word means to put on a mask. Right? Don't conform and act like the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That means what's inside of you has got to come out of you. He says, but be transformed. How do you and I transform? How do you and I change from being this person that constantly, constantly chooses our evil desires to fleeing them? He says, you got to do this. You got to renew your what? You got to renew your mind. You know how you renew your mind? You get rid of that old cruddy stuff and you start putting better stuff in listen if you want to get rid of sensual desires and lust and impurity and evil thoughts stop looking at things that fill your mind with nothing but those images stop feeding your mind the picture of of half nude people of sexual situations Right? Those, those things require one, somebody take personal responsibility for their own choices. Listen, the, the use of pornography among men and women skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. And it isn't just the availability of it, right? But it's skyrocketing among both genders and among all ages, right? Do you know how hard it's going to be to set your mind on heavenly things when you're in the gutter, filling your mind with images of all sorts of things? It's going to be near impossible. And even for Christians who have all their sins forgiven, we still have these admonitions to put to death and get rid of these things in our mind. And yet we wonder why this is so difficult. The formula for changing the way you think isn't complicated. It just takes a lot of hard work, which means you've got to take this fight deeper. You've got to take it to the mat. You've got to wrestle this thing to the ground. So you've got to ask yourself, where's my heart at today? Is my heart connected to this earth? Is my heart, is my gut being filled with earthly things or is it set on things above? What about your mind? Where's your mind at? Is it focused on everything here? Right? And watching shows and looking at pictures and getting on my social media platforms away from everybody else and simply looking at people and following people where I know I'm going to get to see certain pics of certain things and constantly fill your mind with things of this earth or is your mind set on things above? And it isn't just what we see, it's what we hear. For lots of you, the, the trigger in your mind to think about earthly things is listening to the wrong kind of music. And listen, again, these aren't about don't do this and don't do that because that doesn't work. This is about you and I as forgiven people learning to fight the fight in the right way. You got to set your mind, you got to set your heart on things above and not on things on this world. You got to take this fight deeper. Here's the third valuable thing we got to do is we got to take it literally. You got to take it literally. So just follow along with me here. I want to get to something and hope it won't be confusing. Let's read a couple of verses together. Romans 3.23 says this. Everybody online, 
Palm Bay to land, everybody in here. How about reading this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And again, here's what that means. It's not complicated. How many of you have ever known the right thing to do and chose not to do it? And how many of you have known the wrong thing to do and have chosen it anyway? Right? You may not agree with the presence of a God who's holy. You may want to argue about his nature. Again, that's between you and him. That's not between us and you. That's between you and God. But for those of you that believe this, we've all sinned then. We've all, we've all chose, we've all chose at times to do the wrong thing, which means we've fallen short of the measurement of being right with God. And here's what Paul says in Romans 6, 23. He says, because of that choice, the wages, what we've earned in that is death, separation from God forever. That's the result of it. Now you may not like it and you may think it's stupid. And listen, you're entitled to think that you and God could work that out. Trust me, that's something that God is good at helping you work out. But for those of you that have already worked it out, he says, what we've earned in that is a separation. We've been separated from God forever, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now look at Romans six, verse one. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Listen, let's, let's, let's review. How many of your sins have been forgiven? How many of them from tomorrow? How many of them from next month? And how many from next year? All. Listen, let's, let's, let's think through this logically. If all of my sins are forgiven, then why don't I just keep on what? Yeah, you're in church going, I shouldn't say this, right? If all of my sins are forgiven, why don't I just go on what? Why don't I just go on sinning? Because if I sin, God's going to cover it. God's going to cover it anyway. So why don't I just go on sinning? Listen, every Christian needs to be able to fight that fight in their head. Because ultimately being a Jesus follower is learning how to live well in your freedom, not in fear. Can I get an amen? Listen, we're no good. Listen, we're just so prone to want to live in fear. Tell me what not to do and I won't do it. Yes, you will. Instead, the gospel says it's God's grace. It's God's goodness. It's God's free gift that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You want to know how to get better at saying no? Learn what it means to receive the grace of God. Here's the grace of God. All of our stuff's forgiven. Every one of them. You come to church today because you love Jesus. You go home today and you sin. You know what? It's what? It's forgiven. Here's what Paul says. If that's the case, bring that verse back up with you. He says in chapter 6, for 1, bring, bring one up. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? That's a logical question. If you get the gospel, the logical question is, hmm, let me see. All of that's forgiven. And if I keep doing more, it's still forgiven. So... I don't know, I just keep on sinning. That's a legitimate question based on the gospel. Here's what Paul says. Look at verse 2. By no means. Right? So don't tell Joe when he gets back from Egypt, you should have heard what Cord said. Right? <laughs> I'm not telling you you can sin. What I'm telling you is the gospel provides coverage for that, but yet the Bible says you got to stop it. And rules and regulations don't help you stop it. So why do we stop it? 
He said this, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? He goes on to say this in verse three, or don't you know that all of us who are baptized, this is why we, this is why we stress baptism or those of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? Listen, when you accept Jesus and you surrender in baptism, you have died on the cross. You were baptized into his death. And so all of a sudden through Jesus, you now have died and paid for your own sins through that sacrifice. And here's what he says. It's just incongruent to get up out of the baptistry and just start doing whatever you want to do because it's all forgiven. Listen, how many of you are married? And how many of you are not ashamed of it? Raise your hand. Right? Not making people who aren't married feel isolated. Right? When I tell this story, you'll be glad you weren't one of those people that raised your hand. Right? For those of you that are married or have been married, you stood at some point in time in front of somebody with some legal authority to bind you together in marriage. And you said at some level, this is the person I'm going to spend my life with and I'm going to be faithful to them forever. Signed, sealed, and delivered. You signed it. They mailed it in. And some state said, your husband and wife. How dumb and incongruent, meaning it didn't belong, would it have been for you to come home from your honeymoon and start dating somebody else? Right? If you go and get married and then you come home from your honeymoon and go, I'm going to go start dating again. Those two things don't fit. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right? Here's what Paul said. Paul said, accepting Jesus who forgives us how much of our sin? All of it. Accepting Jesus by dying on the cross with Jesus through my faith. It doesn't make any sense to have died for that debt. And then to get out of the baptistry and just start doing it all over again. My daughter recently came into some money. My 24-year-old daughter. Not my money. Her money. And so I asked her. I said, did you take some of it and put it in the savings account? She said, yep. And then I waited. And she said, and then I took some of it and I paid my credit card off. Yeah. I was like, that's pretty smart. And then I said, well, did you cut your credit card up? And she looked at me and she said, No. She goes, I might need it again, right? Paid the debt. She paid the debt. And instead of having the common sense to go, well, I don't want to have any more debt and just get rid of the credit card. She kept the credit card in hopes of piling up more what? Debt. Does that make any sense? Some of you are like, I can't answer that question, right? (laughs) No, it doesn't make any sense. It's the same thing with being a Christian. You've got to take this stuff literally. You died with Jesus on the cross for your sins. Does it make any sense to jump right back in to the same thing and just keep doing it over and over and over again? No. It makes no sense. You've got to take this stuff literally. And listen, you've got to take this personally. For some of you, the simplest way out of your mess is to take personal responsibility for your choices. Your lust and your evil desires and your sexual immorality and your anger and your rage and your malice, slander, it's your fault. 
Yes, your story's horrific. Yes, we can hear it over and over again and have empathy for it. But it does not change. At the end of the day, the first valuable thing you do to overcome your own struggles is you accept this is my fight. This is my choice. The second thing you do is you got to take it deeper. If you're going to get rid of these behaviors in your life, not because they're not forgiven, but because it makes no sense for a Christian who's died to that to jump right back into it, right? You're going to have to take this fight deeper. It means you're going to have to do some hard stuff in the privacy of your own thoughts and in those dark moments when nobody's around, when you're, when you and God are at war over these kind of things, you've got to sit in your house and you've got to say no to jumping on that phone and that computer and filling your mind with garbage and then wondering why it's hard not to lust after somebody. You've got to stop that nonsense and start, start filling your mind and your gut with things that are above and not things below. You've got to do that. And you got to take this stuff with Jesus literally. Listen, I know that it sounds so wrong. But in Jesus Christ, the blood of the cross cleanses you of all sins. It cancels out your debt forever, which means all of your sins, all of them from the beginning to the end are forgiven. And I could honestly say, well, why don't I just keep on doing it? Because it makes no sense for people who've died to sin to jump right back into it. But here's the most profound thing that we do to make this thing work. I preach on Wednesday nights, most Wednesday nights. And a lot of Wednesday nights before I preach, my wife will text me. And this is the kind of stuff she now sends me. I want you to check out this video. You won't know who this is until I, I explain it to you. But she sent me this Wednesday night before I preached. Just sort of as a reminder of what hands over here if you want to, and let's pray for uh, uh, for Stacy and for what's going on, Father. Today, uh, uh, listen, we are we are grateful. Uh, that is my twenty-month-old grandson, Owen Cooper, and he's decided that he likes watching his grandpa preach on Wednesday nights through the iPad. And so, periodically, my wife will send me a video showing me my grandson. Watching me preach on the iPad, which is funny since the rest of my family can't stand the sound of my voice, right? <laughs> He's enjoyed. Here's what I know. The most valuable thing that I can remember is I need to take this stuff home. I need to take this stuff next door to my neighbor. Listen to what Peter says in first Peter two. Why fight all of these desires when they're all forgiven? Here's the most important thing. Paul said, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain. Listen to this. More, don't do this. To abstain from sinful desires. Which wage war against your soul? I got to find something valuable in that fight because the rule won't help me. Here's what he says. Here's the most valuable thing you and I do to fight these things that don't belong. Live such good lives among the pagans, those who aren't in a relationship with God, that though they accuse us of wrongdoing, they may see your good deeds or your good works and they may give glory to God on the day he returns. Here's what motivates me and reminds me to do the right thing, even though my sins are forgiven, is my 20-month-old grandson 
Owen Cooper, who watches me on an iPad because he's enamored with his grandpa. And what I know is this, is that his eternal destiny can begin to be forged by the good deeds that his grandfather does, not in the surrendering to the evil desires that his flesh wants to do. And I can look out on this room, and even without seeing all of you online, I know this. You've got children. You've got grandchildren. You've got people who are looking at you, who have no clue where their eternity will be spent. And it's only through your light, it's only through your good deeds, that they'll ever have a chance to give God glory. And this was said years and years ago. When it was first said, I thought it was just a trite saying. But it's true. For some people, you're the only Jesus they're ever going to see. So here's my question to you. Are the people that you love valuable enough to you to motivate you to say no to those things? Because when you participate in adultery and pornography and lust and evil desires and you blow off the handle, you scream and you rage and say all kinds of evil things against people on Facebook, on Twitter, on any social media account. When you do all of those things, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with the light that those good deeds are giving to people like my grandson or your grandson, your granddaughter or your daughter? Are you comfortable with what they're seeing? And are those actions good enough deeds to help them give God glory? For me, that's about all I need at 56. Because watching him watch me makes me know that he's watching me. And I want to make sure that he's got something not to love his grandpa for. I want to make sure that he has something for me that he can learn to love God for. I think that's what we all need to be reminded of when we think about saying no to these things that we're fighting all the time. Are the other people on the other side? So listen, we're going to do the same thing we always do. We're going to wrap this thing up. For some of you, the first decision you need to make is for Jesus. Right? We never want to gather together ever, ever without you knowing that the invitation for this, it's open to everybody. Listen, if you're tired of living in the guilt and the shame of the dumb things that you've done or the dumb things you know you're going to do, listen, Jesus Christ is your answer. And start right here. It can start right today. It doesn't have to be some overly dramatic choice. We're going to have people to the right of our stage. If you're in Deland and Palm Bay, it's the same thing. You're going to have people there as well. If you need to have a conversation about Jesus, we want to do that with you. If you're online, there's a button there that you can push that says, I have decided. And you can have that conversation right there online with people. Or maybe you're just a person that's here today, or maybe you're a person online and here's what you need. You just need somebody to pray with you because you realize, you know what? I need to do a better job. I need to take personal responsibility for these dumb choices I'm making. And even though Jesus has forgiven me, and thank God he does every single day, I still have a responsibility to rid my life of some of these things, of all of these things. And I need somebody to pray with me to help me get that done. We're going to have people in Ormond up here to the left that will be able to do that. We'll have people in Palm Bay in the land to do that. We have people online that you can just immediately send a prayer request to, and they will pray with you. But at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, here's what I want you to leave with today. Somebody, please agree with me. That having a Savior that forgives us all of our sins is the greatest thing that anybody could ever have. Can I get an amen? Amen. Right?
The greatest, the greatest thing that we can do in exchange for that good gift is to give him ourselves on that same cross and sacrifice everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. I, I can't, I can't even fathom what it takes to surrender on the cross to be brutally murdered and do it of my own free will. I have no idea what that, what that would require. And yet, we're told that's what Jesus did. But if it weren't for the power of the Holy Spirit working our hearts and our minds to convict us of that, this book wouldn't be enough to convince us. So I thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit that brings to life that true conviction of the reality of Jesus and our need for him. And I know in this space today here in Norman, and I know online, there are people who are doing nothing but wrestling with the power of the Holy Spirit's conviction. And it's for those people I pray specifically for today. I pray that in that wrestle, I pray that in that conviction, God, that you would lead a heart to surrender to you. That you would open blind eyes and that you would exercise the demons of deaf ears. And that you would allow people to see the truth of Jesus and who he is. And so, Lord, today I pray for those being convicted right now through the power of your spirit for their surrender and obedience to your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.